drinking were you able to drink this morning and just be filled with the spirit of god it's good to see your faces this morning you know i uh i'm going to talk to you this morning about a very sensitive subject that's uh as a pastor uh sometimes we have to deal with issues and as a pastor uh god has called me to shepherd the flock and to oversee the flock of god and, you know, one of the mandates that God gives a pastor is to oversee, and he's to feed the flock, and he's to also counsel and give strength and build relationship and also protect the flock. How many of you believe, you're, even how many fathers and mothers out there, how many of you believe it's good to be good stewards over your own home? I, I want to deal with this subject that the Lord has laid on my heart, and I'm going to be dealing with an issue on winning the war with pornography. And we're going to be dealing this head on because uh, there's a tsunami that has hit the church. It has hit our nation. And uh, some of you may feel, well, Pastor, are you just managing sin here? No, we're not managing sin, but we're going to learn how to win this war. There, I'm astonished at statistics, and I follow these trends, but literally right now, one out of two men in the body of Christ are struggling with this problem. And it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous thing, and one, you may say, well, Pastor, why do, we, why do we need to deal with it? It's because there has been a tolerance the enemy has desired to bring a tolerance, and we just tolerate it. And how many of you know that this kind of stuff is just so easily accessible? Now, I know that what I'm going to be dealing with this morning is something that is very private. It's something that we don't like to talk about. We hate to even talk about this word called sex. It's almost a taboo word. But you know what? How many of you believe God wants the church free? He wants the church healthy. You know, we can talk about the love of God and the grace of God and God's power and faithfulness. But you know what? We're going to get right down to where we live. We're going to get right down into the computers and our iPads and our cell phones and our personal private time. You know, it's, it's one thing to know that Jesus died on the cross and He set us free. He raised us up to be seated with Him in heavenly places. And do you know that He's already dealt with your sin? The Bible says He's washed your sins away. You're washed. You were cleansed. You are new creatures in Christ. Amen? But there is one thing that we're still in this process. Even though He's dealt with our sins, the one thing the Lord is dealing with is our ways. The Bible says of my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I heal hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. I want to talk about this. And this is only one of many types of strongholds. There are strongholds in people's lives. And I know that there are people that come to church. There are people that have been battling this kind of problem for years, for months. And they have never been able to get the victory over it. I'm here to tell you, you can have the victory over this. I'm, and I'm a living testimony of that. I want you to know that God can give any man, and by the way, one in every four women, according to survey, one in four women right now are struggling with this problem. What is dangerous about it is there is a tolerance that has crept in. How many of you know that the tactic of the enemy, what is Satan's number one desire? What does he want to do? He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And you know, Satan... The, Paul says this, uh, lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his methodos or his devices. We are not ignorant. 
One of the things the devil wants to do is if as long as he can keep this stronghold a secret in your life, you will never be free. And by the way, you will never go into the next level of blessing and responsibility. The Apostle Paul, Jesus, dealt with these issues. The the one thing that is a chronic problem with these kind of issues, and they're private, they're personal, is the shame that is usually associated with this kind of thing. Because shame keeps us in the secret. It keeps it in the dark. And do you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to bring things to the light. Now that does not mean that He's going to bring your skeletons and your rubbish out for everybody to see it. That's not what Jesus come to do. Jesus come to cleanse us. He's come to wash us. He's already forgiven us. And He's already delivered us. But He also wants us to walk. In the Spirit. He also wants us to surrender ourselves. Amen? We've got to understand that we are in a good fight. It's called a battle. A warfare. How many of you have been in that spiritual warfare? I want to, I want to open up with the Scripture. And I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Paul says... Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. We're going to learn over the next couple of weeks on how to be strong in the Lord. We're going to learn how to get strong. How many of you are tired of repeating the same problem? How many of you are tired of maybe maybe it's not pornography? Maybe it's something else that you turn to to medicate yourself. How many of you know food can be a problem? Food can be an issue. For some, it might be drugs or alcohol. For some, it might be an illicit relationship. But here's the thing. The Apostle Paul and Jesus himself dealt with these issues. Now, we are. New creatures in Christ. We are raised. We are even not only justified, but the Bible says we have been glorified. And and with that understanding, there is a stewardship. There's a stewardship that comes with what Christ has done. And I have to steward my life. I have to be careful. I have to steward my life. How many of you believe that as parents... We need to help steward our children. If you as a parent are allowing your child to have a cell phone and it's not filtered, it's not checked, I guarantee you, your kids have already been into pornography. Sexting among teenagers today is so prevalent. It's gone clear down to the primary grades. And what's happening today is we have a generation of parents that in one sense have got our heads in the sand. We don't want to see evil. We don't want to know about it. We don't want to talk about it. And we just hope that somehow it'll go away. This will not go away. We have to confront this giant and we got to take it down. We've got to learn to call pornography what it is. We've got to call it sin. We've got to name it. We need to confess it. We need to renounce it. And we need to take full charge in our house and do some house cleaning and get rid of this stuff. We have to talk about it in our house. Fathers, you need to talk to your sons about sex. Fathers, you need to talk to your daughters about sex and the way boys think and how boys look at girls today. Girls think about sex completely different than boys. Boys are in a kind of mindset where most of the time it is a, it is a, uh, what we, what they call today more of a recreational thing. 
Today, because of pornography, the power of pornography has desensitized the mind of young boys where girls are no longer women and creatures that God has created, but they are now objects, sex objects to be used and to be refused. Pornography has desensitized. It is, in fact, you're going to find in the Old Testament that the pagan nations, the nations, especially when you go back into the book of Judges and the book of Kings, do you know that when Israel went into battle, there, there was this piece of furniture that God gave to Moses that was called the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what that did? It symbolized in the Old Testament God's very presence. And do you know what it did to the nation of Israel? These, these people that were few in number, God says, I didn't call you because you were the greatest or, or, or the best. He says, I called you because you were the fewest and I set my love upon you and I put my presence and I placed my glory right upon you. But do you know what that did to Israel? The ark of the presence of God in Israel made that nation invincible. Nobody could conquer them. When they would go into battle with the presence of God, every battle they would face, the, it, it literally caused the pagan nations, the Bible says, and if you go back, especially when you read in Joshua chapter 5, when Jericho heard that, that uh, Israel was coming after them, the Bible says that the people's heart became like water. They just melted because of the fear of Israel and this, this thing called the ark of God's presence. But when you get into the book of Judges, when Israel could, when the nations could not defeat Israel because of this thing called the ark of God's presence, let me tell you, if the devil can't defeat you in church, if Israel could not be defeated from a military vantage point, the pagan nations begin to realize, then we'll destroy them and bring them down morally. We can't defeat them militarily, but we'll attack them morally. And if you go back into the Old Testament and you do a word study on high places, the Bible talks about high places. These were beautiful groves, the garden areas. But in these gardens, they were, there were altars. They were what they, they also had asterisk poles. An asterisk pole. They also had these images. They were usually nude images. They were naked images of people. And the reason they were naked and they were having these sexual images is because, do you understand the power of pornography is to recreate and rethink and reshape and remold your conscience and to break down what God intended for you to be. You and I have been created in the image of God. Pornography assaults and attacks that image where you begin to devalue your covenant. You devalue your wife and your, you be, all of a sudden, I, I, I'm, let me tell you right now, it's across America. Men and women who are into pornography stop having sex in their marriage. They don't need each other anymore. Because now they got a new idol. And they are feeding on this. They are drinking out of what the Apostle Paul calls the cup of demons. When you feed on pornography, you are drinking out of the cup. Of demons. Paul said, how can we? In fact, it's in the passage when he's dealing with the table of the Lord. He's confronting the Corinthian church because they had, were drinking of the table of the Lord. And what does the table of the Lord represent? The table of the Lord represents our relationship to God. It also represents our stewardship to God because of what He has done as we begin to drink and we begin to take that bread. And as we begin to take, it symbolizes our union with Jesus and our oneness with Him. That we have been joined by blood. 
And therefore, because of what He has done, my body now, because of my choice to surrender to Him, becomes a temple for the Holy Spirit, not a demon spirit. But the Corinthians, while they were taking the blood, and while they were drinking of the cup, they were going out, and they would begin to partake and feast and drink through their eyes. Do you know you drink through what you see? You eat and drink by what you hear? You eat and drink by the relationships that you have? You see, pornography is not just some naked picture of people having sexual experiences. The whole purpose of this is to get inside of your spirit, begin to penetrate into the very thing that God created. Listen, do you know that sex is connected to worship? Do you know why? Because it was to symbolize and it was to represent two people who were in covenant who would come and it's, the word in Second Corinthians is the word join. In other words, it's the super glue in the relationship. Not just the sex itself, but it symbolized. It symbolized something of the integrity of the heart. And so when I give myself to the Lord, it's as though I am coming into a oneness with Him. I am one with Him. And I will not give myself, I will not open this temple to drink out of the cup of demons. Because this temple has been sanctified. It has been washed. It has been cleansed. Now one thing that I know, because I, I've had this problem. And boy, I'll tell you, it took me years to get the victory on this thing. And I hate to say it, but it's the truth. When my wife found out about it. She was absolutely horrified, dejected, hurt, feeling rejected and angry and many other things she went through. The pornography problem is an act of complete and total narcissistic selfishness. That's all it is. But here's something else. The more you watch that, the more ground the enemy establishes in your life. It desensitizes a person to such a degree that you begin to justify it. You make room for it. You begin to make excuses for it. To the point where you become so absorbed with it that you begin to lose your focus and you begin to lose your reason. You begin to lose the, the, the values in life that are important. And you will find that in, in history, when nations or civilizations could not fall through military, if another nation could come and corrupt and pollute and contaminate that nation through morals, the nation would collapse. It would implode on itself. America is right there. The Apostle Paul, in this passage, said that we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the methodos, the wiles of the devil. Notice what Paul is saying. He's talking to the church now. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many of you know God wants you to stand? Now, He's given you the Word. There is a responsibility here. It says, I need to put on the whole armor. What does that mean? What does it mean to put on the whole armor? Well, number one, it means that you got to start talking about it. Putting on the whole... You know what? I have three boys. Now, they're men now. But I had to talk to my sons 
And I had to help them put on the armor. I had to educate my sons about the difference between right sex and wrong sex. How many of you believe that sex is a gift from God? And why does Satan take what God meant for evil and distorts and twists it? Do you know why he does? Because if he can destroy the family union. Because when the Apostle Paul talked about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church, wives submit to your husbands as this is as unto the Lord, he says, for I speak in a, of a great mystery. Because you see, here's the point. It's not that, I'm not, not trying to say that sex holds the marriage together. Obviously, that doesn't. But sex, healthy sex in a marriage, and God intends for all of us to have healthy relationship. It is a armor. Let me say this. Healthy sex in the marriage is an armor. By the way, parents, I am going to be discreet about this. So, just to let you know this. I am so grateful and glad that my wife and I have a healthy sexual relationship. It becomes an armor for me so that I will not stumble. You are a sexual being. And because you, God made you that, that does not make you a pervert. You're not unholy because you have those desires. Today, there is such... Such confusion in the body of Christ. We have young men today. People, I, I grew up in church. I had parents that did not talk to me about sex. I was exposed to pornography with a locker partner when I was in junior high. First time I'd ever seen a naked woman. And I'll never forget that experience. He had put, we had to share lockers because our school had a lot of kids in it and so we had to share lockers and I had a young man who was not saved I was a Christian and I'll never forget one morning I came and I uh, put my uh, combination in opened the door and here was a playboy uh, pinup and I'm not kidding you folks I my my heart just started beating my eyeballs went big and I'm sitting there staring and I just froze I couldn't take my eyes off it well here's let me tell you something that little door opened a huge pathway to bondage in my life. From that, from that door, I went because that brought guilt. Guilt brought shame. Shame led to secrecy and I began to cover my sin. I didn't talk about it. My parents didn't talk about it. I remember one time, no kidding. I remember asking my mom, Mom, how, how, I, this sounds strange, but this was back in the day when sex wasn't all that talked about when I was a kid. I remember asking my mom, Mom, how, how, do, how do people have kids as a young boy? You know what my mother said? Now, this was ignorance. When you get old enough, your wife will tell you. Your, your wife will tell you. My parents, which was the baby boomers, came out of a generation where you don't, you don't talk about it. You just don't tell them. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to talk about that. Do you know that the Bible is an X-rated book? There's more sex in this Bible. There are things in the... Boy, you take a good dose of Ecclesiastics and Song of Solomon, and I'm not trying to in any way demean this, but here's the problem. We've got a wrong view about sex. And we need to be open and let our... Let me tell you something. The way you can keep your children from having sex in the back seat of a boyfriend's car or the girlfriend is when there is an open, honest discussion where your children are free to ask you. And actually, parents, let me tell you something. I discussed with my boys, and I even told them my failures, which helped them. They, it didn't bring disrespect to me. They actually honored me better. See, we think, well, if I tell them all my skeletons and all my bad stuff, they won't like me and they'll be disrespect. They won't disrespect me. No, you you believe the lie there. Do you know why you're human and you're not perfect? 
by the way. God intended for you as a human, I'm not saying this is a license to go out and make mistakes, but while you were growing as a parent, while you were growing, you're making mistakes. And do you know why you make mistakes? Is so you can tell your kids, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. The reason why you make mistakes is so you can tell your kids, I made a mistake. You did that? Yeah, I made a big boo. I made a big boo-boo. You did? Yes. Well, what now, Dad? Well, I need to go to God and find help. Oh, really? You mean you actually take this problem, this dirty problem to God? Yes. I take this dirty, rotten problem, shameful thing to God. What did God do, Dad? He washed me and forgave me. He did, Dad? Yes. But you know what we'd say to our kids? Hey, I want you to know, son. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I was a football player and uh, I was a track star. And, you know, I just want you to know all my, all my glory days and I want my kid to know what I did. I, I was a star and football player and I was a... We always want to give them the, the tough side. But you know, that's not reality. That's not life. My kids have come to know the Lord and come to appreciate God. Because when we become honest about issues in our life, they come to appreciate that there is a God that is full of grace. Because see, as your children are growing up, they are, there's an awkwardness, there is a frailty, there is a, a, a sense of... Of, of inadequacy, there is a humanity, there is a weakness. They grow as they grow up. They begin to discover this. And the one thing they will do is they're going to find somebody that is going, they can latch on to that will not shame them, that will not put them down or make fun. That's why our kids join gangs. Because they'll accept them. And you know what they do in these gangs and places? They talk about everything we don't talk about. Because we just, we just, we just I don't talk about that. Read a James Dobson book, you know. Go, go find something. I want to play a video clip. This just basically helps us see where this problem is. By the way, before we get into this video clip, I want to tell you that next week is Mother's Day. we got a powerful speaker next week. My wife. Am I, she's going to be speaking Mother's Day, and I want to tell you, she always hits it out of the park, and uh, she has a word for moms on Mother's Day. And I want to tell you right now, folks, I'm not giving up on the family. I'm going to fight, and we're going to bring things out in the open that need to be brought out. And you know what? When we Listen, this. When we bring things to the light, the light doesn't condemn. The light is always restorative. It restores. It heals. Instead of condemnation, you find forgiveness. Amen? And I want to tell you something. I never got free until I realized I can't do it by myself. I tried to do it by myself. I become accountable to my pastor and other brothers and even to my wife. And I got free. And there are boundaries. I want to tell you, every man needs to have boundaries. Every woman, every teenager needs to have boundaries. Somebody needs to be talking to you. Asking you, like, John, how are you doing in your personal life? How are you doing? How are you doing, Dave, in your life? Now, I don't believe you should just go to anybody. I believe there needs to be an individual that you have confidence with, and there's, there's confidence because there's going to be times where we may stumble. And we need people that are confident and love us and believes in restoration. Let me tell you something. The church 
has been a place where we just kind of put on the religious mask. While we're suffering and we're dealing with problems and strongholds, and I want to tell you right now, Jesus is coming into his house to heal the house. And he heals the brokenhearted. After this little clip, I want to take you into the pa- a passage of Scripture where Jesus deals with immorality. And I want you to see how he confronts immorality. But let's see where we're at in the nation, if we could just turn the lights down. Follow this, please.
question, I think, about the computer. She wasn't real sure what was going on there. She didn't know as much about the computer as I did. And I took advantage of that. I really did. I used the computer to, to hide things. I would you know, do certain things I knew she couldn't find in the computer. I think there were some issues with, uh, like I mentioned before, just with some frustration that I had in our sexual relationship. And so uh, during the pregnancy, maybe at times when she wasn't so interested,
started to see women as as objects. They weren't people. They were they were objects for gratification. So what would happen then is that is that depression inevitably started to creep into my life because I thought, well, I messed up. I can't go back. It's I've gone too far. So my parents did the best thing they could. They sent me to the church. They said, well, obviously he needs to go talk to somebody. He needs to talk to one of the ministers. So I did that. But what they did is they sent me they sent me to uh, to a psychiatrist and a secular therapist. But the fact is, I was in bondage to it, and you don't just walk out of a prison cell like that. And I even prayed that, well, my wife knows that I'm looking at pornography, and she's okay with it. Well, my wife was aware that I was looking at pornography, too, and she had somewhat accepted it. But she did not realize just what was going on in my head. I had realized that I had just continued to sin against her, continued to hurt her, and to bring her shame and guilt, and cause... struggle with sexual sin for over 30 years of my life, and even after becoming a Christian, continued to struggle until I also found freedom through the ministry of setting captives free. Through my years of seeking freedom, I often found that the church wasn't able to provide the resources or the help that I needed, that the church didn't understand or even have faith that freedom was possible. In fact, many churches, because of shame and judgment, aren't a safe place to come to. Many people, upon confessing and repenting, find themselves shunned or uh, asked to go outside of the church to a secular counselor or even asked to leave the church. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are struggling with habitual sin, I challenge you this day to confess yes. to your pastor, to your spouse, to your small group or your parents. There is freedom. Freedom from slavery and bondage. Yes, yes. Through the grace and truth of Jesus Amen. Christ. And to the church, I challenge you, or more accurately, the word of God challenges you, to become a safe place. Yes. For those who would right. sincerely like to drag their sin out of the darkness, into the light, right. and receive that healing, that freedom, yes. from the power of the cross of thank Jesus you, Christ. Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, and may God bless your ministry. Amen. Isn't that powerful? I want you to realize, folks, that at least at New Life, I don't know about a lot of other churches, I believe God wants this house to be a no-shame zone. The Bible says that if we cover our sins, we will not prosper. 
I don't have to tell anybody who struggles with this problem. You already know that it's a problem. But the problem we have is we're afraid to go for help. We don't know who to turn to. We don't know who to talk to. And I want to recommend that uh, I'd, love it to, I'd love you to talk to us. And I believe that we can help you. I believe we can walk you through to deliverance. Do you know the first thing that is so important in freedom and our freedom in Christ? It's, it, obviously, we need to know the truth. The Bible says you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. But one of the things we have to do with truth is we begin to appropriate that truth by faith. When Jesus says that he washed our sins, I want you to listen to me. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. I got a little feedback up here. We've got to learn to forgive ourselves, and we need to believe that we are really clean. You know something that happened in my marriage? When I confessed years ago to my wife my problem, she looked in my eyes and she said, Ray, you are clean. You are clean. Do you know what that did to me? It was like a prophetic torpedo. And it was just that proclamation, I am clean. And you know what it did? It gave me the wind. It gave me the strength to overcome other temptations. And by the way, it gets easier. The more you walk in the Spirit and the more you walk in the love of God, the more you begin to experience that freedom. Now, Jesus dealt with this problem. In Matthew 5, he gave a strong warning to those followers. He says, if your right eye offends you, what does he say? He didn't say just close it. He didn't just say rub it. He said, gouge it out. Now, he's not obviously talking real there, but he's talking about taking desperate measures in your life. If your right hand offends you, what he's talking about, my hand, has to do with the activities. Is there activities in your life that are causing you to sin? If my right foot, that has to do with my plans. If I made some plans, am I in relationships that can cause me to fall? Jesus said, you've got to deal with this. How many of you know that God's not interested in just forgiving you? He wants you to be delivered and healed. In John chapter 8, very powerful scenario where Jesus was brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. Here's an immoral situation. We find the Pharisees trying to take advantage of the woman. He sh they show no concern for the woman. Their only desire was to entrap Jesus by using the law and see how Jesus would respond. But the situation was powerful. Here is a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now in our society today, if you do anything, you're on the news. And then you're abused and people reject you. But the Bible says something in John 8 that really, I've read this for years. When the Pharisees brought the woman and said, according to the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned, what do you think we should do? It's interesting what Jesus did. It says two times, not once, but two. It says that he stooped down. Do you know that when you are down, he stoops down when you can't get up? 
It says he stooped down. And that is so important. Because, and then it says that he began to take his finger and, and write as though he was paying no attention to them. Here's my point. How does Jesus deal with people caught in the act of sin? How does he deal with it? It's not that he's not paying any attention to it. But what Jesus was trying to do was create an atmosphere whereby people can be made whole. And so Jesus stands up in the midst of these stone-throwing, self-righteous people who have never done anything wrong and says, He who among you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they begin to go away from the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus said, Where are your accusers? Here's my point. With this addiction and with this problem, the first step in finding healing is knowing that you can come to a God who understands the depth of your problem and still believes you can be free. He is still on your side. And He shows that unconditional love and mercy, but He also establishes truth. Go and sin no more. He gives her mercy, then truth. Here's what I'm saying today. And this is just the first message on this because we're going to be talking about establishing boundaries. We're going to talk about the gift of sex. We're also going to talk about God's role and God's purpose in this situation for us. And I obviously will be discreet about these matters. But I want us as a church to realize how the enemy has used this as a weapon to destroy our lives. And we're going to learn how to fight the good fight. You don't have to be, vi- you don't have to be a victim in this situation anymore. I know I'm speaking to somebody. Because the Holy Spirit really laid this on my heart. And the Lord wants you to know that there's no struggle you're going through right now that He will not come by and stand aside with you. And He will bear you up. And He will not only forgive your sin, but He'll give you the strength. And I want to tell you something. I believe the house of God should be a place where we can find help. You're not going to find judgment here. You're going to find strength, and we believe you can change. God is saying, you can change. You don't have to live in the trap of these things anymore. Amen? But it's going to take honesty. It's going to take some honesty. Amen? You know, one of the steps in my healing and recovery was this. Ray Galligan never trusts himself. And neither does my wife. Now, she believes in me. But we have boundaries set up. My wife, even to this day, still asks me, Ray, how you been doing on the internet? What you doing on the cell phone? She has access to all my passwords. We have filters on everything. And I want to tell you, I'm glad she does. There are no private computers. There's no private passwords. There's nothing where she can't access. In marriage, there are no secrets. There's no private little rooms. My wife knows where I go in the city. I'm accountable to my wife. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I I know we're over time here. But I want to tell you something. This is a battle. And we need to win this war. Because Jesus said, this sin will take you to hell. I'm not trying to... Throw the hell thing out. But he said, if you don't pluck this eye out, if you don't deal with this, your whole body goes into hell. I don't care if you're a preacher. You're still going to hell. If you're practicing this thing, we need to walk in righteousness. And we can. 
I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about managing sin. We're walking in the power of the glory of God. But we need to be aware of Satan's devices. And we're going to be aware and we're going to learn how to establish these things in our life. The people that are careless are people that will constantly stumble. If you have no accountability, you will stumble. Just bow your heads, would you, please? Some of you may say, Pastor Ray, I have been struggling in this area. Maybe not even in this area, but maybe in other areas. You've been medicating. The reason why people turn to porn is because there's a void. There's a huge void in our life. It doesn't mean you're a pervert. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. You are a sexual individual. God gave you that capacity. And it's a beautiful thing. But Satan has come to tempt and destroy and distort our view through images. And this morning, I, I want to just, if any of you are, I want every head bowed, every eye closed. If maybe you're struggling. You may just say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need help. I want you to raise your hand. I want to just pray with you. Okay? See your hand. Okay? I know this is not something everybody will raise their hand on. But I, I want to tell you, the Lord wants you to come clean. And He wants you to confess. And He wants us to all forsake this sin. He wants us to confront it once and for all. I was talking to a gentleman a couple of months ago who has a cell phone. And he said, you know, Pastor, occasionally I see some images on the cell phone. But they're not all nude. I said, it's pornography. It doesn't have to be all nude. Satan begins to deceive you slowly, methodically, until you gradually become so desensitized that you're in hardcore. Folks, I want you to understand this is a battle. And there are men and women right now I know are battling this. And we're going to get the victory on this once and for all. Father, I just pray for this house. I know there are men and women. And this is it's a difficult thing to talk about. But Father, I just pray that your goodness and love would just cover us today. Lord, I thank you that you loved me and you forgave me and you cleansed and delivered me completely. And Lord, I pray right now for your blessing and, and love to cover your people, this house today. I pray for hope to be given to those who may be entrapped into this, that they may see that there is a way out of this and they can be free. They don't have to be enslaved in this any longer. Father, I pray for young boys and young girls that are in this house. Lord, that you would just bring a sense of awareness and, and, and stewardship on how they handle their cell phones. I pray for a backbone in parents to be able to stand up and ask questions and deal with issues and not shrink back and be afraid. I ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, give parents the strength to deal with because our kids are facing the onslaught of the tsunami of this sexual revolution in their schools every day. I'm asking you, Lord, to give this house, give this church the strength and the backbone, Lord, to stand against and find the freedom and walk in that freedom in Jesus' name. We give you praise. Everyone said, Amen. I want to tell you something, God, folks. Number one, I love you so much. I don't care what anybody has ever done. We never give up on people. We never give up on anybody. Ever. All things are possible. Amen? And we, we need to have that kind of faith. We're going to see people come in this house. They're broken. They're in bondage. Some of them come out of abused families. They've been sexually abused and hurt. And they need somebody to believe in them. That's what Jesus did by stooping down. He stooped down and He was able to connect and relate with them. And He showed patience. 
and he showed compassion. And that's what Jesus does. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet.